Um, I'm going to read here. Feel free to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 25. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 25. It says this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If your tongue that you utter speech, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church... I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord." Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. 
He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Amen. Thank you, production team, for getting that up on the spot. Thank you so much. Um, Wow, okay. We are really getting into the nitty-gritty here in chapter 14 of spiritual gifts, particularly of tongues, prophecy, interpretation of tongues. This started back in chapter 12, and it's gone all the way through chapter 14 here. We're not done. Next week, we still got more of chapter 14 to go through. But Paul is really getting into the nitty-gritty of these spiritual gifts, particularly today, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now, I I talked about this last week and the week before. At the end of chapter 12, Paul says to earnestly desire the greater gifts. He says that, right? And then, but before he gets into what he means by that, there is this interlude of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, an entire chapter devoted to love, because that love is not just about marriage, it's not just about, you know, um, a husband and wife or whatnot, but he's talking about this is how we are to treat each other, and especially how we are to use the spiritual gifts. We're to use them in a loving way, because that's not what the Corinthians were doing. The Corinthians, to give the background again, they thought that tongues was the best gift because it seemed so supernatural. It seemed so spectacular. So there were those who spoke in tongues who were lifting themselves up above the other Corinthian believers and saying, I'm the best. I speak in the gift of tongues. Look at me. Your other gifts don't compare to what we have here, what I have, the gift of tongues. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. This is not how you use spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts must be used in love to build up the body of Christ, to help others, not as an excuse to show off and show how spiritual you are. So after this whole interlude on love, and also, if I could add again, I believe arguing that spiritual gifts are for today or for the church now, uh, spiritual gifts didn't end with the age of the New Testament church because, as chapter 13 says, The prophecy in the tongues will end when the perfect comes. That perfect is not the Bible in its 66 books. It's talking about Jesus, the second coming of Christ. When we see him face to face, when that happens, we will no longer need prophecy in tongues. We won't need faith or hope for that matter because Christ will have returned. So gifts are for now. So after this long chapter, 13 on love, he jumps back into it. He goes, now that I've made it clear that spiritual gifts are about love, Chapter 14, verse 1, so pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Notice again here, Paul is saying you are to earnestly desire the gifts. Hey, the Corinthians, they were totally misusing and abusing these gifts. But Paul doesn't say, therefore, stop using gifts. gifts. Look at what a circus is becoming in your Corinthian church. Stop gifts. It's charismania. Don't do that stuff. He doesn't say that. What does he do? He corrects them. He says, pursue love. Love is the way you use the gifts. You got that? Love. Now, now, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Pursue them. Brothers and sisters, and I believe what Paul is saying to us through the word today here is to pursue the spiritual gifts. They are for today. Now, In the second part of verse 1, he says, especially that you may prophesy. 
Now, some people take that to mean, oh, that means prophecy is the greatest of all the spiritual gifts. If you want a gift, prophecy is the one you should go for. And, and I think maybe this is part of the reason why I think prophecy actually gets elevated in sometimes an unhealthy way in charismatic circles and, you know, kind of conferences and of the prophets and things like that. Not that I don't want to say they're all not good, there are good people in those things, but sometimes it gets elevated really high, maybe too high. Um, maybe there's a misinterpretation here of Paul saying, thinking that this is the best gift. The reason I think Paul is saying that you should especially pursue prophecy is because relative to tongues, it's better, especially tongues that is not interpreted. Why? Because prophecy is something that could be understood. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack this more. I'm going to unpack this more, but Paul's not saying prophecy is the best gift. He's saying, guys, Corinthians, in terms of what you're doing right now, in just speaking tongues to everybody here and nobody understands what's going on, no, what you really want is prophecy. So the background, if I could paint a little picture, nobody knows for sure, but this is what I think is happening. They thought prophecy was the greatest gift, right? We kind of know that. What I think was happening was they were basically just trying to, to put their tongues on display. The church comes together. Somebody comes up, and they start praying in tongues in, in, this, in this language that nobody understands. This person is showing off his or her tongues. Everybody listens. Nobody understands. He sits down. Another person, a sister comes up, praise in tongues, showing off her tongues. She sits down. Nobody understands. This goes on and on and on. It doesn't do anybody any good. Paul's saying prophecy is better. Why? Because it can be understood. Okay. That's what I think is happening here, the background. Now, before I move on, let me, let me ask this question. What is tongues? Okay. What is tongues? When we hear tongues today, sometimes we get uncomfortable we think like, oh my gosh, you know, tongues, Ulysses, do we, do we really believe that that's something for today? Is that really something that God wants the church to pursue? Absolutely, I believe so. But what is it? Well, in verse 2, Paul says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. First thing is, tongues is prayer. He says, you're speaking not to men, but you're speaking to God. Speaking to God is prayer. So first of all, tongues is a form of prayer. You are praying to God. The second thing is that it is not an earthly language. He says nobody understands him. I know there are some people who say, well, tongues, it could be French, could be German, could be Swahili, maybe it's some really esoteric dialect of some language in the world. Or I don't think so. Paul says no one understands him. No one. No French person, no German person, no Swahili-speaking person. Nobody can understand him. Nobody with a dictionary. Nobody, because he's uttering mysteries in the spirit. It is some type of spirit-empowered prayer language to God that nobody understands. Um, some people may call it gibberish. I, I think that's a little bit unfair to call it that. It's a language that we don't understand. It, it may have content. It, I certainly think it does have content. Um, but it is a language. It's not an earthly language. Um, what does it do? Verse 4, it says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. So it is a prayer to God in a spiritual language that builds you up when you pray in it. So 
However God works, when you pray in tongues, it strengthens you, it encourages you, it builds you up in your, in your faith, um, in your relationship with God. I don't know, in some way, it says you, you build yourself up when you pray in tongues. Also, Paul says in verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues. So here is something that Paul is saying, tongues is to be desired. Here, Paul says he wishes all of us speak in tongues. It's a desire that he has. This is, rather than something that we think is weird or something to be embarrassed of, Paul the theologian, Paul who wrote the lofty book of Romans, says that he wants us all to speak in tongues. In fact, in verse 18, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. This, this, you know, whom many people consider the greatest theologian out of the New Testament writers, he says, I pray in tongues more than any of you. In, in fact, you Corinthians that are so into tongues, I actually pray more than you in that, in my prayer life. Same guy who wrote Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those books, he prayed in tongues a, a ton, a ton. Now, let me add this, um, lest... Our, our Pentecostal brothers jump in at this point. You see, Paul says he wants us all to speak in tongues. Therefore, it, tongues is something that everybody should have. And this is the Pentecostal theology of the second blessing theology that says, yes, when you become a Christian, everybody has the Holy Spirit, but there is this second blessing that we need, this power up from God. And, and, and it's called the baptism of the Spirit. And when you get filled with the Spirit of God in that way, you have a greater power of the Holy Spirit within you, and the evidence of that is you can speak in tongues. And, and I, I, don't, I disagree with our Pentecostal brothers and sisters here. Um, chapter 12, verse 30, Paul made it clear through these rhetorical questions. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Not everybody. People have different gifts. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 7, when he was talking about celibacy, he said, I wish that all were as I myself am. But Paul is certainly not saying the, the ideal church is a church filled with singles. And that, you know, if you're married, you're going to come in, you're going to ruin our church. Get out of here, married folks. Paul says he wishes everybody were single. No, no, it doesn't mean that the ideal church is filled with only single people any more than the ideal church has everybody speaking in tongues. Let me just add that for a moment there. Okay. Um, now, I'm going to quote, quote, excuse me, quote Wayne Grudem several times today uh, from his Systematic Theology, which I think is a, is a great book here. He says this about tongues, which seems so strange maybe to so many of us. He says, we may wonder why God would give the church a gift that operates in the unseen spiritual realm and that is not understood by our minds. One reason may be to keep us humble and to help prevent intellectual pride. Another reason may be to remind us that God is greater than our understanding and that he works in ways that transcend our understanding. Finally, it is characteristic of much that God does in the new covenant age that it is done in the unseen spiritual realm. Regeneration, genuine prayer, worship in spirit and in truth, the spiritual blessings that come through the Lord's Supper, spiritual warfare, laying up treasures in heaven, setting our minds on things above where Christ is all these and many more elements of the Christian life involve activities that occur in the unseen spiritual realm, activities that we do not see or fully understand. In that light, speaking in tongues is simply another activity that occurs in the unseen spiritual realm, an activity we believe is effective 
because Scripture tells us it is, not because we can comprehend it with our minds. I think that's a pretty good explanation of the gift of tongues there. So what is tongues? That's what tongues is. Hopefully that helps. Now, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? Again, another quote from Grudem here. Although several definitions have been given for the gift of prophecy, a fresh examination of the New Testament teaching on this gift will show that it should be defined not as predicting the future, nor as proclaiming a word from the Lord, nor as powerful preaching, but rather as telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. That's what prophecy is, that God brings something to your mind spontaneously through the work of the Holy Spirit that you, therefore, you then tell and report to other people, to the church, to whoever it might be in that moment. Uh, This is also Grudem's uh, illustration here, very simple illustration, revelation coming into your head, not through a physical arrow or surgery, just God putting something in your, in, your, in your mind, right? And that could be prophecy. I believe it could also be in chapter 12, what we saw, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. It could be a vision, right? We see Old Testament visions a lot. Um, God puts that in your mind. And then prophecy is you reporting what God told you. It's kind of like uh, playing telephone, but with God, right? So God tells you something, and then you tell that message to other people. Very simple. It's as simple as that. And Paul says that what this does is it builds people up, it encourages them, it consoles them. This is why it's better than uninterpreted tongues. Now, now, this is not the only thing prophecy does, right? It's not only for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. It could be for correction. It could be for rebuke. We've got to be very, very careful with that. But, you know, Agabus told Paul, he prophesied, says, you're going to go up to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, the Jews are going to hand you over to the Romans. They're going to tie you up and everything. And then all of Paul's friends said, Paul, please don't go. Please don't go. Right? That's not encouraging. That's really, that's a downer, right? And then Paul says, no, I still got to go to Jerusalem. Like there are different kinds of prophecy, but here the point is it helps people. Okay. It builds people up. Unlike, unlike what you're doing with tongues, Corinthian people unlike what you guys were doing with tongues. Prophecy, because it can be understood, it builds people up. Now, um, he goes on to really emphasize this in verses 6 through 12. Now, in these verses, he's talking about that illustration that I gave where somebody comes and speaks in tongues And then there's no interpretation. Nobody understands what's going on. Then the next person comes and does that. Then the next person comes and does that. Maybe they're kind of like jockeying for position to be able to go up and share tongues with the community. And Paul says, if you do that and there's no interpretation, it is like, it's like playing music, but the notes are like all over the place. Have you guys ever heard um, somebody like a beginner at the violin? Is there any worse experience in the world than beginner violin? I speak as somebody who, who played the violin as a beginner, who has a, a son who played beginner violin for a little bit. Beginner violin is something I would not subject my worst enemies to. The screeching, the, it's not a blessing. But you take a violin, you put it in the hands of a master violinist, and it makes beautiful music, beautiful music, because the notes are arranged in such a way where they communicate beauty, a, a, a message, music to people. He uses the example of a bugle, right? 
Bugle, you know, when you play it, I don't know what it means, but when they go dun 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 dun, I don't, they don't do that anymore, right? That was F Troop days. Nobody here watched F Troop. Those were the old days, right? And the cavalry goes, oh, they hear that go, charge, right? But if you play, right, people are like, what does that mean? Dinner? What, what is that? Nobody knows. Paul's saying the instruments, they gotta, they, the notes have to be in a certain way where they present a message. And if you don't do that, it doesn't do anything. It, it's no good. It doesn't help anybody. So he says in verse 12, since you're eager, you're eager for manifestations of the spirit, which is a good thing, strive to excel in building up the church, building up and encouraging the church. Now, so therefore, therefore, what does he say? What does he say to do? Does he say, don't ever speak in tongues again? No. What does he say? Verse 13, he says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Okay, so what's happening here? Paul's saying, therefore, since when you gather together, intelligibility and understanding is important, if you're gonna pray in tongues, you should also pray that the gift of interpretation would be manifested. Now, so I think what he's saying is here, you pray, pray that maybe you yourself are the one who can interpret, so you get up and, and you pray in tongues and then God grants interpretation. Wow, and I interpret that to the congregation. Or, as we shall see next week in the second half of chapter 14, somebody else with the gift of interpretation, as we saw from chapter 12 as well, may come up and interpret what was prayed in tongues. Paul's saying, pray for that. Pray that you can interpret or that hopefully somebody else can interpret as well, so that that becomes something that is understood. Now, one, I think this is the last one from Grudem. Definition of interpretation here. Once a message in tongues is interpreted, all can understand. In that case, Paul says that the message in tongues is as valuable to the church as prophecy. We should note that he does not say they have the same functions. For other passages indicate that prophecy is communication from God toward human beings, while tongues is generally communication from human beings to God in prayer, right? To God, different directions. But Paul clearly says they have equal value in edifying the church. We may define the gift of interpretation as reporting to the church the general meaning of something spoken in tongues. Now, I just want to, this is so, so esoteric, right? And, and hey, if you feel like, well, this is kind of weird. How in the world does that work? I'm with you. I'm in the same boat as you. I did not grow up in churches that really, really pursued this or tried to practice this. I'm preaching this morning, okay? I'm going through the text here and what I see the Bible is saying. But basically what I think Paul is saying here, and when it's done right, somebody gets up. I don't know why they get up. Bible doesn't say. Maybe they just got up to pray in tongues and then they saw if there were inter was interpretation. Or maybe they're, they're thinking, I think God has, wants me to pray in tongues to the congregation because I think there may be interpretation here. Could be that. We don't know exactly. So this person gets up, prays in tongues, then waits. <laughs> Interpretation may come to him or her. If not, maybe somebody else 
the gift of interpretation works, the spirit manifests in that way, somebody else, Bob, goes, hey, I know what that means. Bob comes up and says, this was Ulysses' prayer. And then he prays that prayer in English. And then the congregation understands that prayer and they are able to say together, amen. Amen. They join in that prayer. They're able to agree with it. Now, why does God do this? Why does God do this? Prophecy, I can understand, right? Hey, I think God has a message for our church. He wants to encourage us. He wants to direct us. He wants to guide us. Here's what I think God is saying to us as a church. Why why does God want us, if I'm reading this right, to interpret a prayer prayed to him for everybody else? Why does God want us to do that? This is what I'm thinking. Because as it says here, God wants us all to say amen with that prayer. Okay. Now hold that for a moment here. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There are these teachings in the Bible that say, you know, when you pray, God will do whatever you want. So we abuse that sometimes. We say, God, give me $10 million. Oh, give me a Ferrari. Where is it, God? Your word's not true. Or, you know, kind of, and, and branches of the church will, will abuse this and have the wrong theology. What does that mean? Well, what, what it means is God will do whatever it is we pray when we pray in alignment with his will, right? So you want to be somebody who is aligned with the will of God. And you do that by growing in your character and in different ways and trying to seek to know the heart of God. And the more you are aligned with his will, the more you're praying his will, and God will answer that prayer. What, what if, brothers and sisters, what if, what if interpreted tongues is one way that God wants us to know what we as a church should be praying to him? What if that's what this is? God is putting upon the heart of the person with tongues to pray in tongues, and he puts it on the interpreter's heart to interpret that. And that prayer is prayed now in English, and, and what God is saying is, this is the prayer I want you to pray. And then the whole church says, amen. And the whole church prays that prayer together with this prayer, and the whole church maybe goes into a prayer meeting praying this prayer, and if it is truly from the Lord, we find ourselves praying in alignment with God. Brothers, I, I, ooh, I get goosebumps when I think about that. What if this is what that is? Why else? Why did, God, why do you want me to know what he's praying in the Spirit? So we can say Amen so we could pray it together. And as we grow in these gifts and in using them rightly and in hearing rightly from the Lord, perhaps it is one way we pray more in alignment with the will of God and we see God moving powerfully through our prayers. Brothers and sisters, if that's what that is saying, and I, I think I can make a decent exegetical case for that. I think, it's, I think that's pretty decent. That's powerful. <laughs> That excites me. That makes me want to see this gift and want to see the prayers that God wants us to pray be revealed so that we can pray 
according to the heart of, of God. Wow, that excites me. Maybe that's how that gift works. So, moving on here. Verses 20 through 25. A passage that many people have considered very confusing. I heard one pastor 20-something years ago when he was teaching on this passage, he was so confused by this or whatever. He said, actually, I think this is one of the passages in the Bible where it may be wrong <laughs> or they got the Bible wrong or they wrote down the wrong thing or it got lost in translation or something like that. Um, but I think if we, if we look at the context here, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. So what is Paul saying here, again, about tongues and uninterpreted tongues? He says, in the law, and he's quoting from Isaiah 28. He says, it's written in Isaiah 28, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Okay. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. What's Paul talking about here? There's a lot of confusion here about what this means. This is basically what I believe, and I think there's really good consensus about this now, or, or, or a lot of people believe this view, is that Paul is saying this. You know, in Isaiah, Isaiah, that quote was saying, Israelites, turn back to God. If you don't turn back to God, the judgment of God is going to come upon this nation. And Isaiah was talking about the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire came took over northern Israel, destroyed it, took people into exile, if you remember that from the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesied about that. Isaiah prophesied about that. What was he saying? He's saying, if you don't obey God, return to him, repent of your evil ways, what's going to happen is an invading army is going to come. And that army ain't going to be far off so that you can't hear them talking. Like, outside your gates, outside your walls. They are going to bust into your cities. They're going to break down your wall. They're going to get right in your face, and you're going to hear them speaking in Assyrian. And if you can hear them speaking in Assyrian, that's bad news. <laughs> that's really bad news. That means they're real close. They're real close. They're right here, right? That means you're being led away in chains and shackles, and the Assyrian soldiers are there talking amongst themselves about the Hebrew slaves that they took, and you can't understand them. It means judgment has come upon you. You can't understand them, and they're right in your midst. It's not a good thing. It's a sign of God's judgment. Paul takes this and he connects it here with uninterpreted tongues. He's saying, guys, when you get up and you speak in tongues and there's no interpretation, nobody understands any of that, it's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. It's like, it's like you are a foreigner to the people listening to you. It's like judgment in some ways. There's a lack of understanding, lack of intelligibility. There's no building up. There's no communication. It's no good for nobody. It's no good for nobody. But, however, if you prophesy, if you speak in intelligible words, and if, according to the context of all the chapter, if your tongues is interpreted, then this becomes a sign for believers. What does that mean? The Christians gathered together here in English, for our context, English, what you're praying or what God is saying through prophecy and we are encouraged. We're built up. And he even says that non-Christians, people who may not be Christians, if they're there 
And God is truly speaking through prophecy or through interpreted tongues that that can even be a powerful sign to them that God is real. It says the secrets of their hearts are disclosed. It's like, it's like the non-Christian who comes in and, and they hear somebody share a prophetic word and they go, oh my gosh, it feels like that's, it feels like God is speaking directly to me. Or how did you know that about me? It feels like you know me. This God knows me. And they fall on their face and they say, God is truly here. Prophecy, interpreted tongues, far from being something to be embarrassed about or something unuseful, is actually can be an evangelistic tool as well when the power of God works in the community. That's what Paul is saying there. Brothers and sisters, this is a deep dive into tongues, prophecy, and interpretation. Let me, as we move into kind of like this wrapping up phase here, let me do two things. First, I want to make a case, a case for continuationism, which means the gifts continuing today. Another way of saying um, uh, being charismatic, but that's a loaded term, so we use continuationism. And then let me give a few applications. Now, there are a lot of people who are afraid that if there are things like prophecy, uh, word of knowledge, word of wisdom today, if, the, if there's revelation from God, if you're saying God speaks today, it endangers the Bible. We already have God's word to us. We already have the Bible. What do you mean God still speaks today? No, we have the Bible. I mean, what are you saying? Are you saying that if God speaks through you in prophecy, it's like on, on a par with, with our Bible in authority? No, we're not saying that. That's the fear that we have of uh, the disagreement that we have with the Catholic Church, right? The Catholic Church says that not only is the Bible our authority, but church tradition is also on a par, on par with the Bible in terms of the authority. Um, and, and we say, no, no, it's only the scripture that ultimately has that authority. Are you saying, Ulysses, then when God speaks and somebody claims that they're, they're a prophet, that, man, it's going to erode the authority of the Bible? No, we're not teaching that at all. Paul teaches that these revelations, prophecy, word of knowledge, interpretive tongues, all of these things are not guaranteed this is the word of God. That's why we don't say, thus saith the Lord. We could be wrong. We could be wrong. This is why in chapter 14, we'll see next week, he says, when somebody prophesies, let others weigh what is said. In other words, evaluate it. Evaluate it. Make sure that it's, you know, pray about it. See if that's right. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, you are supposed to marry that person, you can go, oh, thank you very much. Let me weigh that. Let me weigh it with my church. Let me go talk to my elders about that. Let me pray about that. Thank you very much. You don't need to be like, oh my gosh. No, not, not, not her. No, God, are you sure it wasn't her? Or, you know, or whatever. No, that's not what we're saying here. Look, what, what are we saying? What are we saying here? Okay. Let me, let me give you an example from real life here. Uh, if, if you would humor me for a moment. What are we saying about these gifts? Okay. Revelatory gifts, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of uh, uh, wisdom, things like that, visions. We are saying they're extra biblical, okay? Meaning uh, they're not found specifically in the Bible. Like if God tells you, hey, go, go share the gospel with that person. Can you show me in the Bible where it says you, li- show me 
where it says, I need to go share the gospel with that person, Joe, over there right now. It doesn't say that in there, right? It doesn't say. So these are extra biblical things, right? They're not specifically in the Bible. We do believe that they're authoritative. Now, before you fall onto the floor, what we mean by that is we really do believe it's God speaking, okay? If it truly is from the Lord. So if God is speaking, we should obey it, right? Okay. Now, before you fall on the floor, we are also saying that it's fallible. We could be wrong. We might not have heard right. It might not have been God. It might have been last night's pizza. It might have been my own internal desires. It might have been something else. This is why it must be weighed. It can never, ever contradict Scripture. We have certain rules. But we believe that this is the way gifts work today. Um, Now, I went to a theological school, a seminary, that was pretty cessationist, meaning they believed the gifts have ceased. They were against the spiritual gifts for the most part. But when I talked to my my fellow seminarians there, and I talked to them, and I got to know them, and and I asked them, "How how did you decide to become a pastor? How did you decide to go into ministry? They will often, often use the words, well, I feel like God called me. I received my calling into ministry when I was in high school or, or two years ago. I, I felt like God called me. Now, and now um, so if, if I were to be a little bit facetious here, right? And I don't talk this way to them, please. Okay, I'm a nice guy. But if I were to be facetious, I could say to them, oh, God called you. So um, can you show me, Bob, where in the Bible it says that you we're supposed to be a pastor. That God said, Bob, you need to go and be a pastor. He was like, oh, the Bible doesn't say anything like that. I said, ah, okay, so that's extra biblical. Okay. It's not in the Bible that God said, Bob, you need to become a pastor. He called you, but it doesn't say that in there. Say, Bob, could you have said no? No, I, I couldn't say, God called me. I'd be disobeying God. Oh, you're saying that's authoritative. So you can't say no that God actually told you to do something. Yeah, he called me into the ministry. I can't say no. I can't resist God. It's authoritative. Now, um, Bob, is it, are, you, are you saying you're 100% like this is, you know this is the will of God. Absolutely. Like you, there's no way you could be wrong. He'd probably say, no, I'm fallible. It's not on par with Scripture. I, I could be wrong about that. Who knows, right? I, I, I have a sinful nature, my flesh, and there's no way I could say my calling is on par with Scripture. Okay. So Bob is saying his calling, the way that God, quote-unquote, spoke to him, is extra-biblical. It is authoritative, but it could be wrong. Brothers and sisters, friends, that's not anything different than what we're saying about how God speaks today. God speaks today. He does. If he's really speaking, we should listen. But we know that in our flesh, we could be wrong about it, and it needs to be weighed. We just believe also God can speak to us through somebody else. (laughs) Through somebody else, right? Somebody else could have a message from God for me or for the congregation. Why is that so weird? Why is that so strange? Our God gave us mouths because he speaks. Why is it so strange that God speaks to us today? 
Now you say, oh, well, we have the Bible. He did speak. It, like, you know, this is, it, it, imagine I were to say to my son Noah, let's say to my son Noah, Noah, here is a book of all the collected wisdoms of your father, wisdom of your father, everything that I know. Consult this book for everything you need in life. But Noah, I will never talk to you again. It's all there in that book. If you need to know anything, go in that book. Oh, but, but, but dad, what if one day I need some wisdom about what to major in or job to, no, no. Well, it's not in the book, but you figure it out. I can't talk to you anymore. Like that, that, would, be, that would be strange. That'd be abusive as a father. That'd be a terrible relationship, right? And, and I, you know, I feel like I believe that there's no, the God who speaks, who made the universe, I believe there's no reason he can't speak to us today. I believe he does speak to us today. He longs to speak to us today. I believe that Paul has three chapters in 1 Corinthians devoted to how this all works, not just as an antiquity to put in, in history, but to teach us how to properly hear from God because your father wants to speak to you. He loves you. He wants to speak to you. You know, people, people who are not Christians today are believing that the universe can speak to them, are seeking to hear from their version of God, the universe, trees, whatever it might be. They're out there trying to hear from something. So many people are. And here we are as a church, in, in, for all intents and purposes, oftentimes acting as if God were mute. And he does not speak to us anymore. Now, I, I, I know I, that may sound extreme, and I, I love my cessationist brothers and sisters. I love the word of God. But I think, I think even for some of them, they're operating in this way where God is leading we, we, we say amen to that. God can lead extra-biblically. We weigh it. We could be wrong. But God is speaking to us today. And sometimes he does it through other people. He does it through prophecy or whatnot. I, when I was in seminary, I had a class with a professor who wrote a, a very well-known book actually saying that the gifts no longer are for today, that God doesn't speak in this way anymore. Very well-known professor. And uh, one day I went to him in his office to, to ask him some questions. So I had been having these dreams for a while back then that I was supposed to go to China. Okay, I'd been having these dreams. So I went into the office. I heard him teach on this in his class. Okay, and I'm kind of working through some of this stuff myself. And I went to him. And I'm not going to say his name. I said, Professor. Professor. And this was not a trap. Okay, this is genuine questions from me. I want you to know that. I genuinely came to him inquisitively. I said, Professor, God... God doesn't speak anymore through things like prophecy, dreams, or visions anymore, right? That was only for New Testament time. It doesn't happen anymore today, right? He says, yeah, that's true. That's correct. I said, so if any, anything like that, we can ignore it. It's not a part of life. He was like, yeah. I said, okay, okay, thank you, professor. Because I've been having this recurring dream over and over again that I am supposed to go to China and do, do missions work and things for God. But I just, I'm thankful. I'm glad to know that I can ignore that, that that is not this revelation from God to me. Thank you so much for, for clearing that up. And after I said that, he said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. He totally backed off. He got nervous. <laughs> he got really nervous. I could see it in his face. And I wasn't trying to trick him or trap him, anything. I had a genuine question, but he got scared. He got scared. He couldn't, he could, suddenly that confidence was gone there, right? Why? I don't know. Maybe there's something within him that feels like, well, maybe, maybe God could speak in some way like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, me and my family did end up going to China for a couple of years, right, to serve the church. And, and God did bring that about. Brothers and sisters, 
First Thessalonians, Paul said, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. We test it all. God speaks to us today. We believe that theologically, exegetically, there is no, I don't see a good argument for saying God no longer gives us these gifts. We no longer have a need for the gifts because we have the word of God now. No, God is a God who speaks and still loves to speak to us today. And Paul says, eagerly, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. So a couple of applications here, and then, and then I'll close. What's the first application? Well, very simple, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire. Do you eagerly desire the spiritual gifts? Um, maybe that means praying for the gifts. Simply praying for the gifts more. For praying that God would, would, would let those gifts be manifest in your life, whether those gifts, giftings, service, activities, as we saw, whether prophecy or administration or how you go out and you, you evangelize, whatever it might be, that the Spirit of God would flow through you, praying for these gifts, eagerly desiring them. Um, you know, this is a secondary issue in our church. You don't need to believe the spiritual gifts are for today to come to our church to become a member we do want people to know that this is what we believe and what we'll pursue. But brothers and sisters, if you do believe the gifts are for today, then, then there is a matter of obedience to the scriptures, right? If you do believe, if that is your conviction, um, as a certainly it is for me, then this is something we are to pray for. Maybe some of you uh, used to pray in tongues, but then you stopped for whatever reason. I've heard this multiple times from different people, from some of you in our church. Maybe an application of this, you're going to go back home, you're going to go into your prayer closet, and you're going to start praying in tongues again. Maybe that's one way you eagerly desire and pray for interpretation too. Um, brothers and sisters, just because you may feel like you don't have any spiritual gifts right now doesn't mean you've missed the boat. God has distributed gifts to each person. So pray. Pray that those gifts would be revealed and that God would manifest himself in you through the gifts. I would say eagerly desire. And as a church, brothers and sisters, I don't know how all this is going to work out for us. And I'll talk about this more next week too. But we, if God has given us these gifts and if they are good, we should pursue them and not be ashamed of them. We, if they're a gift from God, they are something that we should pursue. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, if, if I were to go in, if I were to be invited by a friend into whether it's a Buddhist temple or an Islamic mosque or, or whatever religion it might be, and they were to invite me, you know, I wouldn't want them to go, hey, hey, guys, I'm inviting my friend Ulysses today. Let's like tone down the stuff, <laughs> whatever that stuff is. Let's make it really palatable and not weird for a newcomer. Let him come in. And then if he becomes a Buddhist, or if he becomes a Muslim, he becomes whatever it might be, then we'll start showing him other stuff. W would you want that? I wouldn't want that. I would wa I'd be like, hey, you do your thing the way you do your thing. Let me see the real deal. And then I will decide if I think that's something that I want to follow or something that I want to believe in. That's what I would want. I wouldn't want Buddhism light. I wouldn't want Islam light. I would want the real thing. Show me what it is you believe, how you live, and let me decide. And, and I believe it's that as church, if God has given us certain gifts, we should pursue them with all of our heart. And, and if they are from the Lord and for now, which I believe that they are, even non-believers at times will fall on their face 
The secrets of their heart will be disclosed and they will say, God is truly among you. That's what it says here in the scriptures. Second application. And here, this is a bit more, more general. But, you know, just as Paul here was saying, you know, there are certain things that you do in private. You go home, you pray in tongues for hours and hours and hours, and it builds yourself up. But when you come together as a church, your goal should not just be about yourself. Your goal should be to build up your brothers and sisters. That should be your mentality. And I think that there is an application there to consumer mentality when it comes to church. Many of us, we, you know, maybe some of us, we, we think this way. You know, yes, in my prayer life, it's about me. I, I pray that God would bless me. And we come into the church in the same way. What can this church do for me? Do I like the message? Is it entertaining? Does it bless me? Are there people here that I like? Is it the, the vibe that I feel? Or do we come in with the attitude saying, how can I come and bless and build up the church? Paul says, when you come together, that should be your focus. That should be what you are here to do. As Jesus himself said, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May our attitude be, too, when we come together as a church, Lord, I come here not to be served, but to serve and to give my life, to build up my brothers and my sisters here, to be a blessing to others when we gather together.